When we come to Acts chapter 2, where we have been the past few weeks, I want to begin reading at verse 40. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation, this crooked generation. That was, he was talking about the generation of false teachers, the Pharisees and Sadducees that would lead people away from Christ. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. Uh, Just a very quick thing here. If you have a new international version, which I'm sorry if you do, but you see the difference between a paraphrase and a translation. The NIV is a paraphrase. So how does the NIV handle this? Those who accepted his message. You see how it turns the language because it is not a true translation. It's it's an interpretation. And in that interpretation, when it came to Peter speaking, it was those who accepted what he said. So it was up to them. It was on them as opposed to a work of grace where they received something. They didn't reach for it and grab it, it was sent to them. It, it wasn't a process of them allowing the word to have its work in them. They received that work. And it's, it's a very big difference because one gives glory to God, one gives glory to man. And those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day 3,000 souls were added to them, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. In the breaking of bread and in fear, and breaking of bread and in prayers, and then fear, fear came over every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. They sold possessions and goods, divided them amongst anyone who had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and And breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. We've seen a great response to Peter's sermon. The Holy Spirit working in the hearts of about 3,000 people. We said that was not everybody who was there. But it was a goodly part of those there. It was an historical event and an historical effect. Those who came to believe were truly changed. And it is seen clearly in that which followed. There's always been discussion and debate as to what we see in verses 42 through 47 as to whether those things would happen again. There are those who who claim, yes, we can have Pentecost all over. In fact, that's part of the name of their denomination. Yeah, Pentecost can be repeated, and it can be done over and over again. 
And there are those who claim, no, it was a one-time experience. Now, while I do not see repetition of the events of Pentecost being repeated, otherwise I would ask us to meet in an upper room and sit there and wait for things to happen. But I am led to see and to think that in general how people responded after they were baptized should not be set aside as something that was confined to that day. Certainly, there have been many attempted counterfeits of these events. But let us walk through the responses and attempt to evaluate whether they can be repeated. The very first thing that we note, and I hope you see it very clearly, is there in verse 42, and they continued steadfastly. In what? Entertainment and joy? Having pizza nights? They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. This is the first thing. You know why? Because it's the backbone. It is the soul of the church. The teaching of the word of God is the soul of the church. There is no church without it. And it's the very first and most important thing. Everything else is a byproduct, and we'll see how that works out. The word steadfastly. They steadfastly continued. Steadfastly means this. It means to steadfastly give attention to, to be devoted to it continually and constantly. Each day amongst the people, there was a general excitement about what they were going to hear and being together to do it. And each day there was a hunger and a desire. Did you think about that today when we were repeating the creed? We believe in one holy and what? Apostolic church. A church built on the doctrines of the apostles. But where did they get it? They got it from Christ. In essence, what they were teaching was the doctrine of Christ. It's a funny thing how the last couple of generations we've been told, oh, you know what you need to do? You need to stay away from doctrine. Doctrine just divides people. True teaching, true doctrine, the only thing it does is divide the sheep from the goats. Because those who have the grace of God in their souls know and hear the voice of Christ and they respond to the voice of Christ. But they're not going to listen to someone else's voice. And so, yeah, it has a division just like Christ when he came had a division of, of separating sheep from goats as he will on the last day. He 
Here we find that doctrine is what unites. United them, it was the hub, if you will, from all the spokes connected to that hub right there, the truth of Christ. The truth which Jesus was the author as well as the preacher and teacher. And above all, the substance and subject of the truth. Now, Glenn, for the most part, they're, they're using the Old Testament. Remember, they don't have a New Testament. They're working on, they're working on the Old Testament and they're, find, they're showing all these things in the Old Testament that tell us of Christ and point to His person and His work. And what did they find? Well, the apostles were bringing what Jude would call the faith once delivered to the saints. And there were things such as peace with God and pardon for sins and where righteousness can be found along with eternal salvation. And there was more, much, much more, more than enough to fill hours of each day and still not be exhausted as to the content. And those believers, new as they were, were at the same time not classified as the stony ground hearers that Jesus would talk about in the parable. They were not of a temporary sort. They were persevering in the truth and pleased to do so. You see, these people who are coming each and every day and gathering together, they don't live off somewhere in a bubble. Each day. It's it's not that the apostles were teaching inside a gated compound. The people who were baptized and, and, and had joined and become part of the church, it was not 3,000 unemployed people who had a lot of extra time on their hands. These people worked in the daytime and they were around their fellow workers and family members. And in those days... They would be criticized. They would be cajoled. They would deal with a great deal of reproach that was cast upon them. But it didn't change anything in them. They endured it and they could only think about that which would come on that day to them of the truth of Christ. Not only was there the doctrine But there was the fellowship that grew out of it. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And then what? What grew out of that? Fellowship. Fellowship. Fellowship with the apostles, yes. And it was fellowship with each other. They were conversing about the things of God. They were sharing things among each other if there was a need. We'll see next week, Lord willing, that... uh, (laughs) These verses in the last part of Acts chapter 2 do not support communism. People maintain their private property. And if you you think there's an issue there, when we get to Ananias and Sapphira, you'll understand. But this fellowship grew out of the apostles' teaching. It formed a, a spiritual bond as strong, if not stronger, than even a family bond. So they had the fellowship and then they had the breaking of bread. And again, this is a byproduct coming out of 
the apostles' teaching, their preaching. And since there was the teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer, it leads us to think that what Luke is telling us here, these are the spiritual things that were taking place. So the breaking of bread here would lead us to think that it was the Lord's Supper being spoken of. For it's a different breaking of bread than what we find in verse 46, where they went from house to house. There's also the possibility that they had a meal together and, and they observed the Lord's Supper either prior to or after. But we can't miss the last element of verse 42. The doctrine of Christ moved them to prayer. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. This is public praying that's being talked about. Private prayer is fine. But the body praying together, being heard, the cries of each one being heard by fellow believers is is a very important part of, of who we are as a body of believers. And they made a statement by their prayers. And we make a statement every time we pray. And we should be conscious of it. And hopefully we are, unless we pray like the Pharisee who, who wants to just congratulate himself. But our prayers tell and confess clearly that we are wholly dependent upon God. And if we weren't dependent upon Him, why would we pray to Him? It wouldn't make any sense. So they observed all opportunities to pray. Certainly, they were praying that they could hear more of these things, that they would stay together as a people, and that they would have strength each and every day as they went back out into the world to face it's torment. And then we see in verse 43, then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. I think you have to look at this and see there were two things going on. Amongst the believers, they were filled with awe on what they were seeing. But those who were non-believers who were on the outside looking in, they, they were filled with fear. Because you see, it said that it came upon them all. A sense of reverence and amazement upon those who believed and a true sense of fear among those who did not believe. Yet they heard at the same time the things that were happening among the believers. And many signs and wonders were done by the apostles. It was a ratio and proportion kind of event. The more signs and wonders done by the apostles. And please see this. Who did the signs and wonders? The apostles did the signs and wonders. You see, there are those running around saying, well, you know, you need to have signs and wonders. You can do them. Well, here we understand that after the initial event in Pentecost, it is just the apostles that are doing the signs and wonders. So if you've not raised anybody from the dead in the last couple of weeks, don't sweat it. You're still all right. 
the signs and the wonder. Signs means this, that, that, that it's an attesting miracle. That is, God is doing this through this man to show that he is God's man. That's, that's what it was. It, it's not to promote him. It's not to, to make uh, a great uh, Christian personality out of this one or that one. It was God attesting to them because they didn't have the word of God in front of them. So therefore, God proved that these people, these men were his men to go forward with this truth by attesting miracles. Miracles that endorsed them, clearly showed that they were approved by God. It is the same idea that Peter spoke of in verse 22 where he said, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst as you yourself know. What were the, the signs, perhaps? What were the miracles? Well, it would be the casting out of demons, the healing of the sick, the causing the lame to walk, the blind to see. This was promised by Christ to them. He told them that they would do greater and more things than he did. But the more signs and wonders done by the apostles, the more awe was generated amongst the believers. And the more fear was instilled in the non-believers. So the, we see that the signs and wonders, while they had a strengthening effect on the believers, didn't do anything to the non-believers. Because the signs and wonders were not designed to save the word of God through the spirit of God is the means by salvation, for salvation. You remember the rich man in, in hell and he's, he's saying, send Lazarus to my brothers. They'll believe somebody who came back from the dead. Give them that miracle there, one coming back from the dead to speak to them. Abraham says, you got the prophets. Let them hear them. In verse 44, and all that believed were together and had all things in common. Now, they were not all together in one place because you've got about 3,000 people, so we can see that, that already we're going to have to have some, place, some people meeting in one place and some meeting at another but the thing that's getting across here is they had all things in common is this. They centered all around the truth. They all agreed together. They were together in what they believed. You could go from one group to the other group and you would hear the same thing. And that in itself, my friends, is something of a miracle. And they went beyond and into the temporal things as well. They were all about helping each other, seeing needs and providing for what they could and when they could. The, the brotherhood of believers was building. 
Well, was it done perfectly? Now, I remember sitting in a seminary class one time on the New Testament and went through the book of Acts. They said, well, these things can't be repeated because it was a time of revival. And I kind of scratched my head a little bit. I thought, well, okay, we're off to a real good start here. And these are people who truly have been wrought upon by the Spirit of God. There's no question about that from the things that are happening. But those are the same people who we'll see in Acts chapter 5. Coming out of that group of people, we'll see Ananias and Sapphira. And coming out of that same group of people in Acts chapter 6, we'll see a certain type of widows getting a better food distribution than the other type of widows. The Hebrew-speaking widows were getting more than the Greek-speaking widows. And so we're going to see that it's not a time of perfection. That, yeah, great things are going on, but at the same time, we still have fallen people People who are at the same time sinners and saints. We should not look at them and say, ah, these are the super saints and we're just somewhere down here. Verse 45, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone has need. So continuing daily, we want to court in the temple breaking bread from house to house. It's interesting how they used the temple. The temple was not the place really where they met to worship. But the places where they, the temple was where they would go to find people who had come to worship God and they would tell them the truth of Christ. They were able to do that for a short period of time until some of the Jews caught on and said, nah, you can't do that anymore. And so in here we see So far, four signs of the true church. The first sign is this, the teaching, preaching of the word of God, which is the soul of the church. And where these people were listening and benefiting. The second sign we see then would be fellowship, mutual support of each other. Third would be the breaking of the bread, the ordinances of the church, like the Lord's Supper. And fourth would be prayer, public prayer, praying together. Now, what was the constancy, the communion, and the consideration? What was it all centered upon? What gave it its power and its life? Well, none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we look at Colossians chapter 3, in verses 1 through 4, we see that the response of these people is something that can be and should be expected. As Paul wrote to the Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. 
Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I wonder sometimes if you would ask, what is your life? What is it? Focus on what is the central thing of your life? We might get various answers, but for the believer, it should be Christ. Christ is it. Remember what Paul wrote in Galatians 2 and verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. Yet I live, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Or how in Philippians 1 and verse 21, Paul wrote, For me to live is Christ. Now, all this that took place, this devotion came from the doctrine. Not that doctrine's the only thing, but the doctrine taken by those who made eager by the Holy Spirit to receive it, all it led to great devotion. Christ, the center. It happened to them, and there is no doubt that it can happen today. This world has its allurements and it's working overtime to try to pull everybody into its vortex. But by the grace of God, we will stand and we will be countercultural in that the thing that we will see as most important and the thing that feeds our lives and our existence. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. Let's stand together for prayer.